0: Well, welcome. My name's, like you said, Brian Berger. I'm a community's pastor, and my notes are already all over the place, so here we go. Let's buckle up. Um, I get the privilege of getting people connected to our church, so I have a class called Starting Point and Launch Point that many of you have been through, and I love getting to know you in there. I would encourage anyone that wants to get more connected to the church to get involved with Starting Point and Launch Point. It's a six-week class we kind of go over the foundations of what we believe here and, and uh, kind of get you connected into healthy church involvement. So um, open up your Bibles to Psalm 32 this morning. I've really enjoyed uh, the sermon series so far and Psalms, uh, especially I think the one that has been uh, especially formational for me is Tyler Johnson's sermon on a, a proper lament. And I think with things that are going on in our culture today and the news Um, I find myself being shaped by that sermon, praying often, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, till you restore, till you fix, till you heal? And that uh, should continue to be our prayer as our country goes through a difficult time now. Uh, My prayer this morning is that we would be shaped by the Psalms. Uh, This Psalm starts, Psalm 32, a mascal of David. Um, And to explain what a mascal is, this is a very intentional poem or song that is meant to shape. That's meant. To, the word literally means enlighten. So this is a song that's meant to enlighten us. That David wrote to give us some insight into who God is, to give us some insight into how we should emote or feel about Him. And um, uh, as I was trying to explain this to my kids who are in this hour, I brought up mixtapes. So I'm a child of the '80s, and for those of you that are. Young and don't know what a mixtape is, or maybe you're older and you don't know what a mixtape is. I would sit and put the little, the little device, it's called a cassette tape, it's got two little wheels on it, put it in the stereo, and then just wait as KZZP was playing. And I was just ready to push record as soon as I heard my favorite song. And then I'd push record. And it would record it, and then stop, and then I would wait for the next favorite song, and you'd make this mixtape, right? And you would use these um, to give to your friends. Julie, this, the conversation happened last night, and Julie was talking about how this song makes me feel about uh, this time in my life when me and my girlfriends were riding in the ro- or riding down the road, and we're going to California, and so every time this song plays, it brings me back and it stirs my emotions for that moment of time, right? Now I tried, cleverly, to try and find um, as many Chicago songs as I could and Bryan Adams and then I slipped it to this girl and it was like every time I wanted her to hear those love songs, I wanted her to think about me. Right, it was very clever, that's what we did. So I'm explaining this to my wife and my kids, I didn't have to explain it to my wife, explaining it to my kids, and my eighth grade daughter, Caitlin, said, Dad, that's called a playlist. <laughs> it's like, that's not a big deal. Like we do that, right? <laughs> so I looked on Spotify and there was playlists that you could that you could listen to. Here's here's the titles of these playlists. I thought it was funny. A confidence booster. So I don't know why you would, I do know why you would you listen to that playlist when you need a little bit of comfort. And that's probably not that different than this playlist, which is, walk in like you own the place. (laughs) I think I've seen these kids with their headphones on walking, because it really does look like they're walking in like they own the place. Um, There was one called, Best Day Ever, Workout Jams. uh, And my favorite was, chilling on the tailgate of your pickup on a dirt road. And that is a list of songs that have been compiled and put together so that when you sit on your tailgate on a dirt road, you have these, this good feeling, right? Okay. I want us to think about uh, the Psalms as God's mixtape for this church. Okay? It's God's playlist for the people of God. They've been compiled together together. And they're meant to stir our affections or make us feel a certain way about God. And that these are meant to shape us. So as we get into Psalm 32, a mascal of David, King David, wrote this. He is intentionally writing this so that the people of God would not just enjoy the tune, but would be shaped into feeling a certain way and acting a certain way about him. So listen for the tone of the song. What kind of song is this? And then we'll ask at the end, what is our appropriate response to this song? I'm going to read Psalm 32. You can turn there now if you haven't already. And then we'll pray. A mascal of David, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin." Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time which you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And God speaks. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And David finishes, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I love this church. I love these people. And I know you do too. And I love your truth. And I love who you are. And I want to clearly communicate your greatness. Your mercy to us. Your love for us. Your never-ending perfect love. God, shape us through this time. Holy Spirit, mold us into the image of Christ. That we might look more like your image. And reflect you to our friends and neighbors, and our world that is broken. Come, Lord Jesus, fix us and heal us, and our world as well. Your world, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So, the main idea of this psalm is given, the punchline is in the first verse, the first two verses. The main idea of this psalm is this, it feels amazing to be forgiven. Verse 1, it's a masacle of David. Blessed, happy is the one whose rebellion has been forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy, blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count him guilty for his wickedness and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This psalm today is about happiness, blessedness. Now, we have to start by contrasting the Bible's view of happiness with the world's view of happiness, or should I say the Bible and where the Bible and God has instructed us to find happiness versus where the world and the pattern of the world has told us we can find happiness. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The pattern of the world is this. You're searching for happiness. You can find it in three ways. You can find it in indulging with with what your body wants. You can find it in acquiring what your eyes see. And you can find it in impressing Others with your life. This is in stark contrast to where the Bible says we can find happiness. The world says if you have her, if you feel that, if you eat this, if you had that, or once I get this, I will be satisfied. Once I get the recognition from my boss, once I get the respect from my wife, once your body looks like hers or your house looks like theirs, once my kids are successful like them, then we will be blessed. This is the pattern of the world. Happiness can be found apart from God. This is the blessed life. Now, who sets the pattern of the world? Ephesians 2.2 says it's the prince of the power of the air. This is a satanic lie that has set the world in motion in a pattern away from God to seek happiness elsewhere. Achieving, indulging, impressing. The Bible says this. At the end of that accomplishing, achieving, indulging is a thing that you will be enslaved to, and this leads to perishing. Enslaved to idols and perishing. The Bible says where happiness is actually found is at the end of yourself. Sacrificing, humbling, poor in spirit, meekness. Because at the end of this sadness and brokenness is a confession that leads to this. And this is the love of God. And the love of God is where we find blessedness. David gives us the punchline at the very beginning. Happiness is not found in these things. Happiness is found in a restored relationship with our Creator. Now, if I were to tell you a punchline, like I just did, you're probably not stirred up in affections right now, in emotions, and it probably hasn't shaped you. Much like if I said... I had a great dad growing up. I still have a great dad. He's still alive. Bill Berger was a great dad. And you guys are like, okay, that's the punchline. Now, if I told you a story about my father and the time where I took out my parents' car when I was 14 years old and at 2 a.m. was driving around Scottsdale with a bunch of kids that didn't know how to drive and driving around town and I came home and my brother's right here, he can attest to this. He's watching a movie, I walk in and Brett goes, he knows. (laughs) And I was like, oh crud, you mean he knows he knows? He knows and he wants to talk to you, good night. I walk upstairs, I knock on the door, I come in, I open it, and my dad says, Hey, bud, did you have a good time tonight? (laughs) Now, this night, I wasn't stealing the family car. This night, I was at Castles and Coasters having a good time at the birthday party. And he says, Do you have a good time at the party? And I said, Yeah. And he said, Hey, we need to talk. Okay. Tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., let's have breakfast. Okay, good night, bud. Good night. Went into my room and I'm just just like sweating, right? Like, oh my gosh, how much does he know? Does he, like, did he just think I did it once? Or does he know that this had become a pattern? And I was so nervous that night and I finally fell asleep and my alarm goes off at seven in the morning and I walk downstairs slowly, like, what is this going to be like? Is he going to yell at me? And he had a bowl of oatmeal waiting for me and he was reading his newspaper and he says, so tell me about the car situation. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And... Very quickly, I was in tears, probably with an ugly cry, <laughs> begging for his mercy, right? And my dad, he he was so gentle and he was like, Buddy, do you know what it would have done to our family if you would have died? You don't know how to drive? Do you know what it would have done to you if you would have killed somebody? Do you know what it would have done to our family if you got in an accident and we had to pay that and we would lose the house and we would lose this? Buddy, right? And it was a very gentle, loving rebuke correction and at the end of it he said so what do you think what's the punishment and I said well I should probably not get my license when I turn 16 and he said okay when should you get your license like 16 and a half right (laughs) and he said okay what about grounding what do you think and I said I should be grounded? I said, yep. How long? Uh, Six months. Okay. Shoot. Six (laughs) months. I should have said three months. That conversation with my dad really shaped our relationship as I was headed into the high school years. Okay? Now when I say, hey, I had a great dad, Bill Berger. You have a story... That goes with the punchline, right? This is what David does for us. He tells us happiness can be found in a restored relationship with God. Now let me tell you my story. And there's four beats to this story, okay? Two things that David does, and then two ways that God responds. Number one, the first beat of the story, David tells us that he has rebelled against God And it felt like hell. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. How did David feel in his rebellion? He felt like a dead man. David had obeyed the desires of his flesh. He had indulged. David had obeyed the desires of his eyes. He has sought happiness in acquiring and in impressive life. And David was the king. He was the most impressive. He had the resources to indulge in whatever he wanted and acquire whatever he wanted. And David said this, I rebelled and went after these things, And I'm telling now the people of God, it felt like hell. The things that we think will cause sweetness or satisfaction now tasted bitter. Now, to try and describe this to my kids, I would say this. When you drink a Coca-Cola, it's sweet. Okay? But try this when you get home. Don't judge me. I see you guys judging me. You drink the Coca-Cola. Now go have two Oreo cookies, okay? Why two? Because I I don't know what one is like. I've only ever had two Oreo cookies. (laughs) I've never once in my life eaten one Oreo cookie. Have two Oreo cookies and go back to the Coca-Cola. Some of you have done this, I can tell. The Coca-Cola is no longer sweet, right? Why? Because the taste buds have tasted something way better. And they're on this, like, high from sugar. And you go back to this and it just doesn't, just doesn't do it anymore. David has tasted the sweetest thing, the most satisfying thing, and that's a relationship with his God. He's tasted the love of the Father. And he was drawn by the lies of the world and the pattern of the world towards happiness somewhere else. And he's indulged and acquired and impressed, and he got here, and it was no longer sweet. In fact, it was bitter. This is God's gracious gift to us, church, that when we are his and when we've tasted his love, sin cannot do it for us anymore. Does that mean the temptation's not there? No. The lies and the pattern of the world is still directing us towards this. But when we get there, church, it can no longer satisfy us. And God uses his heavy hand upon us to bring us back. 1 John 2.15 says it like this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you go after these things and it is satisfying and it is the sweetest thing you've ever tasted, then John says, you haven't tasted the sweetness of the Father's love. It ruins sin for us. Second thing David does in the story, verse 5. He humbled himself and he returned and he confessed. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. David had been avoiding a conversation. He was hiding. He was covering his wickedness. What happened in Genesis 3 when man first sinned? They had this amazing relationship. They had tasted the love of God, and they sinned. And they despised and they, their shame and their guilt so much, they could not stand to have God look upon them. And so they ran. They had their whole lives run to God. But now sin had alienated man from God, and man was running away from God and covering themselves with fig leaves. All of us who have sinned, all of us have sinned. And sin alienates us from God. It estranges us from God and His love. It also alienates us from each other. And so we hide. Why? Why do we hide? I was a high school football player, and one of the worst times of the week was when you had a bad game and you had to watch it on film with your teammates. And I played for Tim Beck, who's my high school football coach, and he was a great coach. But man, this guy could scream and yell and spit would fly out of his mouth. And when he would yell at my teammates, I would kind of chuckle, and it was kind of entertaining, like, oh my gosh, he's getting it. But then I would watch the film, and and, oh my gosh, I saw that the reason why our running back was tackled for loss was because I missed a block. And as my coach is going one by one through all the players, screaming and yelling at him, spit coming out of his mouth, all I can see every time he rewinds it and plays it, and rewinds it and plays it, is I hope he does not see me miss that block. And finally he says, all right, go to the next play. And I go, Whew. And then my receivers coach, Coach Harris, says, Hold on a sec. Go back to that play. Oh, shoot. Burger. What in the heck is this? And then my teammates are chuckling at me because I'm getting reamed. Okay? Now imagine that's just football. Imagine your worst moments. The time that you respond to your spouse in the ugliest way. You have lack of understanding, lack of em- empathy, lack of self-control, lack of kindness, lack of compassion, and you put it on the film. And then the time you respond to your kids, or the, th- the times you've ran after sin and you didn't care, and the times you were dishonest and you were deceptive, and you, and you just create this video, right? Right? Do I want to show you that video? No. I would lock that thing up if it existed. There is a video that I have locked up, and it's of me lip syncing to the Backstreet Boys, (laughs) and none of you will ever see it because it is in a vault somewhere. I would lock that thing up. I do not want you to know who I am. Why? Why don't I want you to see that film? Because you would reject me you would not have a relationship with me. You'd be disgusted by me, and I'd be disgusted by you. And the shame of watching that video, if it existed, would be too much, let alone showing it to a holy God. And so we hide from God. And instead of turning our eyes towards this sin and confessing it, here's what we do. Here's my endearing qualities. Here's what you should love about me. Hey, I'm a guy that's easy going. Hey, I'm a guy that's fun to be around. Hey, I'm a guy that doesn't get upset too easily. Hey, I'm a guy who's nice to kids. Hey, I'm a guy who can tell stories, right? Everybody like this guy? Deep down in, there is sinful desire in this man. And it makes me hide. If you're a small group leader, which I lead the small group leaders, here's the way to get everyone not to show up, okay? Never, never say this. In our RC, we're about absolute transparency. There they go, right? Because no, nobody wants to come and just be like, hey, here's what I thought about you today. Hey, here's the, you know, we're all hiding. And David's hiding. Now, one of the things David knew about God is this. He wipes out his enemies. The iniquity, the guilt of wickedness, God does not mess with. As a Jew and the king of Israel, he would have known these two stories very well. Noah. When every thought of man was evil all the time, and they were in their iniquity of their sin and transgression against the Lord, here's what God did. He wiped them out with a flood. And they deserved it. And the Hebrews would have known this story, but he preserved his people, Noah's family, in an ark. And he purged the rest of the world from evil, of evil, including all of God's enemies. They also would have known the most, probably the most loved Bible story for the Israelites would have been the Exodus. What happened to God's enemies in the Exodus? A flood rose up and rushing waters wiped them out. And who did he preserve on dry ground? God's people. Now here's David. If I go to God with the iniquity of my sin, I am his enemy, I have transgressed, I am wicked, and I expose myself to this God, what is he going to do? What does he do to his enemies? He doesn't mess around. He wipes them out. So what changed? Because David does come and he confesses he stops hiding. Adam and Eve ran to the bushes. David ran to the bushes and then broke the silence and came out. He could not stand to be apart from God. Now, David was living something that the, the Hebrews would have understood as a living death. We understand life and death this way, death this way. When your heart is beating, when your lungs are functioning, when your brain is functioning, you're alive. As soon as the heart goes, and the brain goes, and the lungs go, you're dead, alive, dead. The Jews didn't think about life and death this way. There was such thing as called a living death. If you know the book of Ruth, Naomi was living a living death. Her husband had died, both her sons had died, and she had nothing. No social security, no savings, nothing that she could point to to say, I'm valuable in society. She was done. That's Naomi. She's dead. She's just waiting for her heart to stop. David is describing a living death. He doesn't feel life. Why? Because life is found, happiness is found in the love of the Father, and he could not feel that. And so, he shows God the video. Two things we have to do in order to come out of the bushes, to come out of hiding and confess our sins to the Lord, we have to die to our self-preservation. We have to die to trying to achieve and impress and accomplish. The world says this. God says this. Because at the end of confession and saying, I'm poor in spirit. Poverty, spiritual poverty. I bring nothing to this table except this videotape of every bad thing I've ever done. And Lord, have mercy on me. I can't justify myself by any good thing I've done. I deserve to be wiped out. Have mercy on me a sinner. Jesus told a parable about a man that said that. The tax collector went up to pray. He beat himself and he couldn't look up and he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus told about that man in the parable, he's forgiven. He went here and God gave him a gift, a restored relationship with God, a blessed life. And through David's tears... Of anguish and this heavy hand upon him, and his strength is dried up. He hears, I forgive you. And he goes from death, a living death, to life. He goes from anguish and hell to hopefulness and love. And he rejoices and he says, This is happiness. This is happiness. At this point, in verse 5, it says, He forgave him the wickedness of his sin. And then he moves on and he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to him in a time when he may be found. In other words, in your time of conviction, In your time of distress, in the time where you feel the weight of his heavy hand upon you, pray to him. David just described his prayer, I confessed my sins, he forgave me. Therefore, church, people of God, nation of Israel, confess your sins to the Lord. Show him the videotape. Acknowledge that it exists and do not hide it. And this is awesome. Now, read this through Jewish eyes and ears. Surely when the flood comes, surely in the rush of great waters, the flood will not wipe you out. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. When the flood surrounds, you will be surrounded by shouts of deliverance. I love you. You are mine. I will preserve you from trouble. What a beautiful message to Israel that will shape them in how they respond to their Lord. They are a people that in the time of finding, that in the time of conviction over sin shall run to their God and confess their sins. And through their tears find acceptance. Through their fear of rejection will find absolute, perfect, never-ending love. If we were watching a movie right now, It was a romantic relationship between man and woman and we got to see them court and we got to see them engaged and married and live happily ever after until she strays. Adultery. Affair. And we would watch this thing and the the pain and the stress and the anguish and anger towards her would rise up in us but she comes to the conclusion that she cannot live apart from her one true love. And so she's going to go back and she's going to tell him. And she says this. I'm unfaithful. I don't deserve your acceptance. I've broken the covenant. I've run to try and find love apart from you. And I deserve to be wiped out. Have mercy on me. And he says, I know, I've known, and I forgive you. And in her moment of tears would be the happiest moment of her life to be restored to her one true love through his forgiveness. Church, this is David's story. This is our story. Who are we but the people in the world that have confessed their transgressions have laid ourselves before the Lord and said, have mercy on me. And he applies the blood of his son Jesus and forgives us of his sins and gives us the very thing, the love of the Father, adoption as his children, that will sustain our hearts and satisfy our souls forever and ever and ever. If this were a movie, we'd be cheering. If this were a song, we'd be stirred up to love this God. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says this. If we have no sin, if we have no sin and we hide, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Church, We need to confess. David is writing this, remembering the sin and remembering God's forgiveness. Those of you that are walking with the Lord currently, this is proactive gospel preaching. In the morning, waking up and saying, Lord, this is who I was. And I confessed it, and you forgave me, and I am prone to wander. Protect me and lead me not into temptation, I want to honor you and love you with my life this morning. It starts in the morning with proactive gospel preaching. This is who I was, and this is what you did. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Let me live out of that today. If you feel estranged from God, you've trusted in Christ, but you feel estranged. You feel like he's distant. You feel maybe a heavy hand upon you. You feel like it's hard to breathe. Your strength is dried up as in the heat of summer. Run to God. Confess sin. Be restored. God wants us to be a people who, when we stray, we return. We confess. The story goes on. Remember, I said two things that David does, two ways God responds. David says, I've rebelled and it feels like hell. Second thing David did, he said, Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. First thing God does, he forgives. He says it's gone, it's taken away, forget about it. The second thing God does is this. Look at verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. God always speaks through the prophets. Now get this. When you read the Old Testament, God speaks through the prophets to the people of Israel. Always in these three categories. And he says it right here. Come, follow me. Walk in my ways. It's the way of shalom. It brings harmony. It's the way of peace. Observe my statutes. Follow my ways. This is righteousness. Walk with me. It's how the world was created to be, in love of God, in love of neighbor. And then he says this, I love you. Don't question my love. I love you. I've called you out of the world to be my treasured possession. And then he says this, don't ever walk away from me. Walk in my ways. I love you. Don't ever walk away. And he keeps the people of Israel walking on the path. Now, sometimes it's the prophet saying, don't walk away, turn around. Turn around, walk in his ways. Sometimes it is, he loves you. Don't question his love. But these are the three ways that God speaks through the prophets to us, or through the old, to Israel in the Old Testament. And it's the three things that God says to David. I'll go back to the oatmeal moment with my dad. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Trust me. Follow my ways. This way is better. I love you. Don't do this again. That moment with my dad was shaping. I got on the phone and called my buddies who were in trouble as well because the dominoes began to fall and everybody, did I not tell you that everybody was doing this now? All of my friends? This is like a huge pattern and what shaped them was their dad's response in anger and violence and threatening and it shaped their relationship with their dad my dad and David's father and our God like a father says this don't walk away don't be like a horse or a mule those things are always going the other direction and I have to put a bit and a bridle in their mouth and I got to yank them back. He doesn't say if you ever do this again you're done. He says I will use the bit and bridle. Do you want that? Because I you are mine and you're going to walk with me. Stay here and trust you. And trust me. Would you ever respond to a father? That is that good? Would you ever respond with more rebellion? Yes, you do. Yes, I do. The way this psalm shapes us is this. Don't walk away from him. His ways are good. But if you do, turn and confess and be restored, church, because he loves you and he wants you to walk in his ways of Peace. And he doesn't want us to walk away. I don't think of it like a, ho- like a horse or a mule. I think of it like a cat. And my family knows I don't like cats. My aunt and uncle had cats. <whistles> Come here, kitty. <whistles> like gone, right? I don't even really like my dog, to be honest. <laughs> my wife is wagging her head at me right now. And that thing runs to me all the time, Right? Don't be like the cat running away from God. It needs a leash. Be like the dog. Stay near your owner and your master. That wasn't in the notes. (laughs) That one's free. Okay, summary point it feels horrible to run from God. It feels amazing to run to God. It feels horrible to run from God. It feels amazing to run to God. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. This psalm is about hopeless to hopeful, fear of rejection to joy and gladness of perfect acceptance, from a living death to life. From great sorrows to steadfast love. Church, respond appropriately. Draw near to him. In our time of communion today, I'm going to lead us in an exercise. This is what came out of my preparation. This week, I just took a piece of paper and a sharpie. And I said, I'm getting the video on paper. And I started to write. This is who I am apart from you. This is what my flesh is capable of. This is what I've done. This is who I am. This is and all of this. And it just, I, I wish so badly I could show you a piece of paper that was like this. And I kept writing. And God kept saying, no. And that. And that. And that. And at the end, I looked at this piece of paper and I was despondent. But then I read... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And I took the piece of paper and I thought, he tears it up, he covers it, he throws it away, he drowns it, he burns it, it's gone. All of that shame, all of that guilt, everything that would stand between me and the holy God, he got rid of. And he nailed it all to the cross so that we could be accepted. And in my tears, Joy. So in our time of communion, here's here's the exercise. We don't have pens and paper. Imagine the piece of paper and write your list. Maybe you're walking with the Lord. Hallelujah. Remember who you were and what he did, like David did in this song. Remember and rejoice and be glad. Maybe you've trusted in Christ, but you feel estranged. Write down the video. On that imaginary piece of paper, maybe you've never trusted in Christ, maybe you don't know Jesus, but you feel his heavy hand upon you, you can have gladness this morning. You can have a restored relationship with your creator and the satisfaction and blessedness that David is talking about today through trust and faith in Jesus Christ. That is the free gift author of the gospel. So as the men and women come forward and and give us the elements, make your list and and hold the elements because we're going to read some scripture and tear up those lists. And then the last verse in Psalm is this, Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And we're going to get to shout for joy, three songs after the sermon. And we get to praise him and be glad and shout about our deliverance. So as the men and women come forward and give us the elements, confess, show them the video. Let me pray. Father, give us clarity of thought to understand the depths of our sin and the the blind spots in our heart. Show us our transgressions and the iniquity and evil, guilty, sin, that we might get it all in front of you so that we can be restored rightfully to you and experience the gladness and rejoicing and blessedness that you offer in relationship with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.